We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Computer, this is Data. I'm an Android. I'm a basketball. I was processing all of the information. Processing. It's one of those idiots who believe in analytics. Rangers pick basketball. Analytics was crap. Does not compute. Just because you got good stats doesn't mean you're a good team. Hello and welcome back to the Lakers Exceptionalism Podcast. My name is Tom Z, joined as always by Tim, aka Cranges McBasketball. And Tim, I'm going to throw like a million things up at you at the front, and I'm going to want you to pick whatever you want to pick to talk about it, okay? Uh, the the Denver Nuggets won the okay. NBA championship. Uh, who cares? Um, Austin Reeves got his own signature shoe. It's, it's kind of cool. Uh, John Morant was suspended okay. for 25 games. And um, All right. I don't know. Zion Williamson is is a freak. <laughs> let's uh, <laughs> let's start with Austin. Good oh. choice. <laughs> uh, happy for him. It's got that signature shoe. It looks pretty good. I saw it. I don't know what the cost is, but I will uh, consider getting it. I cu- I currently rock the Giannis's. I've got the ones that like look like the Greek flag, which are fantastic for a Greek person, but. Want to check out those Reeves shoes? Support him. Uh, yeah, Super man, cool, that's right? cool. It's neat. He's yeah. he's one of those players. Yeah, and it's like, I don't know. That's cool. It, it's Lakers. Welcome to Lakers. You perform well. You're going to get that notoriety. This helps. I'm I'm happy for him. I think this also helps the Lakers as a as an organization pitch to other free agents. Hey, is your you know undrafted rookie getting his own signature shoe like two years into the league? Ours is. Uh, and like, you know, help get more of those smart undrafted guys who was like, who are like, I'd rather not get drafted so I can go play for you than go be, you know, stuck in some other org that isn't going to play me or I'm not as happy with, or I don't have as many opportunities for, this is the kind of stuff that helps the Lakers get better MLE dudes or minimum contract guys. So happy to see the brand is strong. Happy to see his brand is strong and getting stronger. And that wasn't his only big news, uh, recently, but we'll, we'll get to that in a moment. For John Morant, Tom, I I mean 25, that's a lot of games. That's yeah, that's gonna hurt them in the standings. And that's gonna hurt it. I, I think at that point he wouldn't be eligible. Well, actually, he could be eligible for awards. I was reading through the uh CBA verbiage that isn't like they haven't 
agreed and published anything yet, but there's that min, there's the game minimum to be eligible for like MVP and defensive player of the year and things like that, except for if the player can make a case that they would have hit the threshold if they hadn't gotten some injury or suspended or something. So in a way it's not really as much of a limit. I'm interested to see how that plays. Like anything, Tim, you know, it's going to be all legal language. So I could also see them protecting themselves from like a self-inflicted thing. Like if it's circumstances outside of your control, a force majeure, COVID-23 happens or whatever the fuck, you know what I mean? Those are things outside Mm -hmm. of the control. You know, waving a gun on Instagram is outside of your control in the sense of maybe you shouldn't be an idiot on social media, but you know, that was firmly in your control or your friend's control. Yeah, maybe not the best example to break (laughs) the new rules you're setting for the first time, specifically for a guy. And I don't think the NBA Players Association Uh, would die on that hill either. You know, they'll usually stand for the fights that are are important. Not to say this isn't, but if a guy's in the wrong like that, there's public perception about, uh, you know, defending him and all that. Yeah, you, you represent all the players. You don't represent just him. And this would be a case where if you were trying to push his angle, you hurt someone else. Someone else has to win. So, I yeah, no, I'm, I, I can see it. I can see it going either way. But I think the most likely realistic thing would be what you're talking about, where they just say, you know, sorry, buddy. This isn't the time to try to press this issue. But I don't know. It, it's going to hurt them in the standings. It's been interesting seeing how good Memphis has been without John Morant for the past couple of years. So I'm interested to see if that continues. They certainly have some dudes on that team that are good. Uh, we'll have to see what the new roster looks like and if they're able to retain those strengths and key areas. And Tyus Jones, a fantastic backup point guard. Don't know what that'll look like. But uh, I, I mean, it only helps the Lakers, I suppose. Hopefully, Joe's able to figure his stuff out. Um, you know, be smart. Be safe. I don't. I don't know what else Make to say about choices. it. Choices. I'm glad our guys aren't doing this. <laughs> yeah. No. He's. He didn't get. Uh. He's not in a KCP situation where he's like <laughs> playing. You know, ankle monitor. You're right. He's he? not he a two-time NBA champion. Prison. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, oh, yeah, literally, shout out to him. Literally couldn't travel with the team outside of California. Um. That's not the weirdest thing. I forgot. If you want, I could throw in jacked Ben Simmons to the mix. If you want to. Talk about yoked Ben Simmons. Have you not seen Tim? Hang on. I have not seen Oh, this. my God, brother. He looks like a defensive lineman. It's almost funny because it's like literally doing anything he can to not touch a basketball. I Google jacked Ben Simmons and exactly what you're talking about popped up. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. I can see a world where he is a... Is he the right size to be an Aaron Gordon type, like versatile piece that has some, oh, I mean, force at the rim isn't something he is provides, he gonna, but like, are you asking if he's going to like cut off ball and like do <laughs> connector pieces plays? Fuck no, dude. Ah, come on. He can, I can see him being, I, I'm not, I haven't given up on him. I hope he's doing well from a mental health standpoint. Uh, I hope he's doing well, physical yeah. health standpoint. I'm interested to see him, you know, get back out there and, and do some stuff. This doesn't hurt. It's certainly not the most important thing. Uh, I remember when I was playing, we, we would lift preseason and then we made a deal with the coaches where it was like, all right, we're only lifting in season after we lose. And we went undefeated. So we didn't lift all year long. And they're like, ah, it doesn't really matter. Like, um, 
it's good though. It's helpful, especially for a guy, you know, if you want him to be doing the little things, boxing out, rolling hard, finishing at the rim. Well, hopefully, uh, having confidence to finish at the rim. Right. Maybe. Okay. Like if, if he turns on the layup, the, the coach should just have a printout of him and be like, look at you. This is you. This <laughs> oh, is you right no. here. Do you see you? This is you. It's not hit like this. I'm him. It's it's a little less. Uh, it's a little less confident. It's like the beta. I'm him. This is you. Uh-huh. Fucking looking at a mirror. Anyway, Tim, we will eventually start talking some Lakers hoops here today. We're gonna keep it kind of loose. Uh, we kind of wanted to talk a little bit about this. Uh, oh, I I missed another one, Tim. We got USA basketball. Austin going back mm-hmm. to Austin which I thought is pretty cool. I don't know exactly what it'll mean for him. You know, uh, we'll see with, you know, not sure what that role on that team looks like, but he's going to get to play some high level basketball with some other high level basketball players in a different setting. Um, and it's a challenge as a competitor to come together, find a new role as a basketball mm-hmm. player, uh, as you have to do on every new team you join, right, Tim, you have to find, what does this group need from me? What can I do to make the players around me better? How can they make me better, right? And I think it's just a great exercise in basketball intelligence and basketball just experience, being able to, you know, get the the varied kinds of experiences. What do you think about that news that came out? I'm excited for him. I think he's got a good opportunity. I uh, we've we've heard ten of the twelve roster players announced so far. This is for the Team USA group that's going to be playing at the FIBA Basketball World Cup, which is late August into mid September. We've got Jalen Brunson, Tyrese Halliburton, Anthony Edwards, Austin Reeves, Brandon Ingram, Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson, Bobby Portis, Jaron Jackson Jr., and Walker Kessler. So it's a, I mean it's a pretty solid group, Tom. I. I like this group. I think it's loaded offensively. Uh, I think Reeves's fit is actually really, I think this, this lines up real well for him really, because while this is a loaded offensive group, and just overall is a very good group. I, I grabbed these 10 players and I plugged in, you know, Hey, what would their average like impact be? If you use their regular season impact values, uh, they would grade out as the number one team in the NBA. If you had this group of players, and like, I don't just, you got the defensive player of the year. You've got two legit, legit lead ball handlers. You've got Anthony Edwards, legit shot creator. Reeves is an, an excellent role player. Ingram's a shot creator. Mikhail Bridges is like one of the best three and D guys out there. That's shown. He's more than just that. Uh, Cam Johnson's solid. Like Kessler's a really good, like rolling cut big. One of the best Bobby Portis, a uh, six man either candidate. Like this is an excellent, excellent team. It's not the star studded, you know, Kobe, Braun, Mello. Like, it's not one of those groups. Okay, 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 okay. And? Do you disagree? Eh? No, it's the least fucking disagreeable point anyone can make. <laughs> that the Team USA team is the best team in the league, Tim. Where are you going that's fair, with that's this? Fair. You definitely I, have a place you're going. I'm sorry. I, I just I had to poke fun at you for a second. <laughs> no, 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 no. You're right. You're right. You're right. I was just like, how would this stack up? Like, it's really good. Um, they would grade out as the best offensive team. They would grade out as the sixth best. Uh, no, I'm sorry. Eighth best defensive team. They have seven of their 10 guys are top 100 O LeBron players. Only two of their 10 are top 100 D LeBron players. And they're both their centers. So they are actually weaker on defense. And I think this is where Reeves fits in really well. If we look at what the maybe depth chart looks like, 
You've got Halliburton and Brunson as your point guards, Edwards and Reeves as your shooting guards, Ingram and Bridges as your threes, Johnson and Portis as your fours, Jackson and Kessler as your fives. Halliburton and Brunson in the regular season this year were hidden on defense and low activity roles. Uh, Edwards, not an on-ball defender. Ingram, not an on-ball defender. So among the t- like the, the six kind of guards and wings, the only two guys that are like actually like good defenders that, that defend on ball are Reeves and Bridges. So while I would, I Reeves is fantastic and he's getting better. He's not the same tier as Halliburton, Brunson, Edwards, or Ingram offensively. I would say Bridges as well, but defensively, what do you, if this team wants to actually go out and win and, and like total talent or offensive talent, they're loaded. This team might struggle to defend potentially if they're throwing out, especially if they try to throw out Halliburton and Brunson at the same time, like they're going to get crushed with their backcourt defense. But Edwards, Ingram, Halliburton, if that's your like your one through, I didn't put that in the right order, but your one through three, you're going to struggle a little bit. So I feel like both Bridges and Reeves are going to have good opportunities to take on tough assignments and play a lot of minutes. So I'm excited for that reason. I think he's going to get a good opportunity. Uh, I think this can only really help him. It's in a time of year that like, I don't think anything else would be happening at this point. It's not like he's missing time with the team. It's this is, you know, off season dead time. So I'm happy for him. I think this is a, a cool chance loaded team. I'm interested to see what, you know, some of the other top competitors look like for other teams, but uh, very, very good. I'm interested, Tom. Like, what do you think about his role? How much do you think he's going to play? To come off the bench, probably. Yeah, I I see him as kind of a bench, uh, most likely spacer. Uh, I don't know about point of attack. I'm not. I mean, not super familiar with the kinds of players that would be there. I think he's just a good connector, wing. I a lot of these USA teams play zone sometimes too, just because they feel like they want to keep their, their size back there. And it kind of simplifies things too. Um, but I don't really think he's going to get too much run. I think being there is valuable. I think, like I was saying, trying to find a, a new role in a new team uh, is a good exercise. And it's, it's organized basketball, which mm-hmm. no matter what you do when you're alone, I feel like this about any field you could self um, what's the phrase I'm looking for Um, accountable. You can hold yourself self accountable, but there's always a little bit more value. And at least for the right person, you don't want to let team USA down, right? There's a pressure there to perform Mm -hmm. at your highest level throughout the off season too, right? To prepare yourself and um, you know, hopefully he's able to take some time off and, go right back to it and kind of get the uh get the the gears turning again for him. Yeah. Yeah, no, agreed. I think it's interesting too that so like he is the only point of attack defender from a, a defensive role standpoint on this roster. I think how much he plays may depend on how good these other teams are that they're playing against. Like if they can just sleepwalk through everything, I don't think they're going to need to have like they could roll out bad defensive backcourse and it may not matter. If they're in competitive games, then I think maybe he makes more sense as like a two-way guy where some of these other guys are more one-way. And I think Ant actually, like, he he impressed me a bit. He's good in some areas defensively. He's just not like a POA guy. Halberton's not, Brunson's not. So 
I don't know. I just think Reeves as a one or two has opportunity on this team. You do see because of his defense on these stages, players take on new roles like those budding young stars. You know, you see Mm -hmm. Kobe take on a defensive leadership role. Um, You see you see when there's so much talent, you still need like, you know, overqualified role players, which is what some of these guys are. Uh, But you never know. Some I could see Ant also taking that challenge and saying, I want to be mm-hmm. the defensive guy because we've got all these other offensive guys. And yeah. uh, I just want to stop guys. Like I just want to shut these guys down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I could see it. Yeah, I think the, the three guys that make the most sense there are, are Reeves, Ant, and Bridges, depending on you know what size player you're needing to defend. Like they make a lot of sense. If you've got, you know, good bigs, you've got, you know, Jackson and Kessler here defensively. So I'm excited to see him play. I think it, so this team, again, it's loaded. However, they're not perfect. They have two roster spots left. They have plenty of ball handling. They've got plenty of creation. The offense in general, very good. The three point shooting almost across the board is fantastic. And I think that lowers the threshold. If you you know were to try to find guys to add to this group. Uh, also interesting. No one on this team uh, was in their age 29 season or older this regular season. So it's a younger group. You got some guys who are like 28, but it's a younger group. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. According to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With the final two roster spots, are there any types of guys or specific players you think you would want to see added to this team? It's probably going to be like a rookie, I would assume. They already have Walker Kessler, so some size. I don't know. It's probably going to be like Bronny James <laughs> or I've got some names. dumb shit. Yeah, okay. I thought about all right, this all morning. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Okay. All right. So I would say you can still use an on-ball defender that can kind of hit their threes as a two-way guy. So if we kind of cut out some of the older dudes, I think Derek White could be someone that makes sense. Stationary shooter, point of attack defender. You can slot him in. If he's your like 11th guy, that's fine. 
Uh, if you need him out there for some defense, he can just, he, there's so much shooting and creation and dribbling and ball handling and playmaking. Like he's fine. You can take, if I were to add at this point, I would be adding like true role player guys to go play role player roles. I don't need another shot creator to be my 11th man. So I think he makes some sense. And then if I were to pick a bigger guy, Aaron Gordon makes some sense. If he's, if he's willing to do it, he would fit next to Jackson because of Jackson's shooting, he would he could play center. He would fit next to Portis because Portis has some shooting. He's a lob threat, great defender, offensively really strong around the rim. He's a screen setter. There aren't too many screen setters on this team. So I think if I were to just throw in two role players to try to round out this roster, which is already fantastic, those are two guys that I think make some sense, give you some versatility if you want to play smaller or want to play bigger, still be able to space the floor a bit. That, that would be... To me, if I were looking at who to add, I know I went in our basketball index leaderboards tool and I was like looking at skill sets and like filtering guys out. And those are the guys I landed on based on those types of players I was looking for. All right. Uh, more Team USA talk that I think we've ever had on the pod, but our boy Austin's there. So, you know, what else are we going to talk about, Tim? What else are we going to talk about? Let's talk about let's talk about, Tim, what we're going to do on playback soon. Um we are going to be going back live. I know we took a, a couple weeks off to kind of recoup, recover uh, as the NBA finals were finishing up. So we're going to be going live on playback three times a week at scheduled times, Tim. Now, we're not going to be doing July 4th or that weekend because uh, reasons, but starting on Monday, we will be going live Monday, Tuesday, Thursday at 6 p.m. PST on playback. Now, we are going to be running some video uh, supplements. So come in, get yourself ready with your, your popcorn or your beer, whatever your, your post-work beverage and, and routine is. We're going to play some highlights for you about the topic at hand. So we're going to put together uh, three shows a week. We're going to run some video packages for you up at the top. Then we're going to come on stage, talk about what we watched. We're going to give Tim a chance to break down some film, uh, draw up some whiteboard stuff. And we're going to apply this to the draft, free agency. And pretty much once we get going, we're going to, you know, turn these into pods. But we just want people to know, Tim, we're changing up our content structure for the summer. Been thinking about this the last couple of weeks. Uh, so just wanted to prime everybody for that. We are going to get started on Monday. Uh, doing some some draft stuff, hopefully. Try to get some guests. But yeah, try to go live a couple times a week, Tim. Keep it brief. Keep it topical, you know, to the certain specific topic at hand. And give people a chance to watch mm -hmm. some video, listen to some analysis, and hopefully, you know, see some of that film in a new way. Yeah, absolutely. We've got some fun stuff coming up ahead on the NBA calendar with the draft June 22nd, less than a week from now. So next week, three shows, plenty of opportunity for draft content for the two shows, Monday, Tuesday, and then Thursday is the draft. So we'll have a draft watch party. So that'll be a blast. Come hang out with us there. You'll get some live reactions and analysis. And like, I mean, at some point it's gonna be like, oh, okay, we know we have this guy. Time to jump into Synergy, watch a bunch of film and uh, look at all their data and figure out if we like this guy or not, because I'd rather do that than, you know, go read a paragraph about yeah. him on some ESPN yeah. article. <laughs> and then the following week we can dig into free agency. We've got three shows like the four days before free agency starts. So that'll be 
a great time to dig into targets and how the team could be looking to uh, operate, you know, work with the new CBA rules right. and build the best team possible. Then we've got the following week. As you mentioned, we'll have a couple of days off with uh, for reasons, um, but we will have a show July 3rd. And then the following week, at that point, the team's probably together and we'll be able to analyze what this team looks like. So, I, you know, plenty of great content. And I think the three show a week structure works out real well to be able to, uh, you know, we've got the right amount of time to dig into the right amount of content. So I don't think we'll need to like find filler stuff. We'll, we'll yeah, have some good we, things to talk about. We adjusted our draft coverage after talking privately, uh, Tam, just to, it's a little bit, I feel like less evergreen if you talk about the, you know, five to ten guys and you can't get as deep into the guys and then they're all gone by the time your team wants to pick so we're gonna wait we're gonna wait you know mm-hmm. we talked a little bit about it uh, i talked a little bit about it with zach on the Eurobasket stream talked a little bit about some targets before you know but let's see who the lakers pick let's see if they keep the pick then we can bring mike garcia on we can bring zach milner on we'll talk about these specific players instead of the speculation, which you know, I don't know, I don't know. Leave that for the other pods. Yeah, I don't. I, we don't need an hour-long pod where fifty-two minutes are oh guys that you don't care about. You know, two days after the pod comes out, so uh, we'll we'll try to be more focused on what the team does end up getting, and then deep diving those guys. But you know, we'll, we'll get some. Uh, hey, here's what the team should be looking for. Some names available. We'll, we'll try to hit it on both ends, but definitely hammer it. Once those new guys are part of the team, I, th- I think that's absolutely the right approach. I'm aligned there, and uh, and th- everything's coming so soon, Tom. It's it's a blast. Finals are over. It's bang, bang, bang. Draft, free agency, summer leagues. Multiple. I always forget. Uh, so I always forget the draft is like immediately after the finals, and it's uh, you know mm-hmm. you want to take a break uh, from basketball at least for a couple weeks, and then boom, you're right back into it, and then free agency. So. We put a little bit more of our time and effort and energy into free agency anyway, which is kind of what I think is the more fun speculation than the draft. Mm -hmm. Agreed. So wrapping this one up here, Tim, I want to dive in a little bit into what you see from uh, the Lakers coaching staff, how that might translate into next season, what you saw from them this past season. And uh, yeah, what could they mean to the the future success of this team. Yeah, they're a big part. And I expect probably the same group together next year. Maybe some moves around the margin. We have not heard anything publicly nor behind the scenes. So I I don't know. But coaching is generally a constant. The roster is going to change around the margins. Maybe you make a big trade. Maybe you make a big signing. But if we know, hey, we're really good in this area offensively, like we're going to make the most of our pieces or we're going to make the most of our pieces on defense. That's helpful. That's good to know. Or if you go into every year knowing, hey, schematically on offense, we're in bad shape. That means we want certain kinds of offensive players that can just make things happen. That's more at a premium. And so that changes your roster construction. So it's good for me to keep tabs on that. I know it's a topic of interest for me as an Nexus and O's guy. And it was heavy, a heavy part of our content during the postseason. And so I guess before I dig into the postseason bit, regular season, we saw, I, I think I'd say, and Tom, I don't know if you agree or not, I thought we saw rookie mistakes from a rookie head coach that got better over time in the regular season. And from a defensive scheme standpoint, they were 
pretty vanilla almost all year until like the last week or two of the season for postseason prep, which, okay, fine, but you could have done better there. Offensive scheme, they had a lot of really good stuff. The frequency at which they were running their their good stuff was low until a couple of weeks before the the bigger trades. And at that point, we started to see it skyrocket. The offense was better. And we'll talk about what happened in the postseason. But to me, I think there's I've seen enough that I'm excited about offense and what it can be and the skill sets available uh, or how the team, how the coaching staff is using those skill sets and then defensively. I want to see a little more, but I also know that the roster probably limited what they could have done. And so I think it was good overall. I think it was a good coaching staff, a good year. Uh, they finished on a higher note than like earlier in the year we were, we were evaluating the staff. And I remember I put up a, a survey and people were ranking guys and ham was in like the mid twenties, I think, or something like that. And I was like, yeah, this makes sense. I, I don't, I don't really disagree with this, but I think at this point I'd have them a good bit higher. And being able to see them go up against other coaching staffs in the playoffs, several good ones, and beat them head to head, out coach them head to head. And, you know, the players are a huge part of this shot, very, you know, shot making, execution, and the game planning. I think are the game planning and adjustments are those three core things. And from a coaching staff standpoint, with the game planning and then trying to hold players accountable for the execution, they did a, a decent job, though. I think we can get, you know, nuanced and it, you know, had its ebbs and its flows. If I'm to break down the coaching staff's performance round by round for rotations and matchups for offense and for defense, I think in the Memphis series from a rotations and matchup standpoint, I, I gave them a C grade. There were a couple of things that they, I mean, kind of Vanderbilt and then kind of pivoting from there. Uh, has been a theme. It, it seems like they haven't quite figured out how to use him best and where, where he's, you know, what his real skills are on defense. Still working on that. Uh, but I had a C grade for the rotations and matchups. Otherwise, you know, they did smart stuff. It wasn't anything groundbreaking, uh, taking AD away from Jackson, or I'm sorry, putting AD on Jackson and taking him away from the rim in game two was hurtful. We saw them do the same thing in the Warriors series, I think also in game two, um, but I gave him a C there for offense. I gave him a B minus defense, a B plus. And overall, just, I just kind of averaging those grades out a B minus in that first round in the second round against Golden State. I had the, the rotations and matchups go from a C in the first round to a C plus in the second round. I thought they were smarter about them. I thought they did good jobs. Again, they had to pivot a little bit from what they started out in game one. to what they ended up doing, but they ended up having the right guys on the right matchups, I think. And rotationally, it made some sense and they they pulled some le levers that worked real well. Uh, we talked about needing to get some more chaser defense in there. They pulled Lonnie Walker out and he proved them right in that one key game and, and was able to contribute well on both ends of the court. So they did some smart things. I think still they made some mistakes and had to recover from them, but C plus I think makes sense there. Offensively, I had them going down from B minus in round one to a C in round two. There were just some things that like you could have attacked smarter. You could have hammered a little bit more that they didn't. And they made some mistakes schematically on that end. And they didn't handle different help types at different points in time. So that was frustrating. Uh, defensively, I had a B plus. I thought they did a very good job. The game plan was sharp. Golden State made some adjustments and LA made some adjustments, both defending ball screens and defending the off screen stuff. So I thought they were pretty strong there. So overall, we've got a B minus for the first two rounds. And then we get to Denver. And this was a little bit of a different experience for the first two rounds, our pre-series scouting and our pre-game shows where we were like, Hey, 
this is what Denver does and what they're good at. Here's what the Lakers should do. And here's how, you know, if LA does this, then they'll do that. Then we do this and they do that. We were doing a pretty good job with that for the first two rounds. There was a disconnect uh, with the Lakers coaching staff in that third round in the Western conference finals. And I, you know, for the first two rounds, we were usually right around where LA was either. Sometimes they're a little ahead of us. Sometimes they were a game behind us. Usually they were like a quarter to a half behind. I think some of the adjustments we were talking about, but it was really, it was pretty good. Um, in the Denver series, I, I thought they left a lot on the table. And with how close that series was each game outside of game one, it was that that is to me what's frustrating is like we could have we could have won a game or two if you would have improved some of these things. For example, defending Jokic, it took them. I mean, they started the series off 60 percent of the time in the first half in game one. They let him play one v one and he cooks him one v one. And we talked about that. And they should have known this going into the series. You need to send help. And there are certain types of help that work well, certain types that don't work well. They eventually got to the right help types that, that double on the high side and the bump over. And it worked well. Like if they tried it and it didn't work and it was like, all right, well, there's nothing you could do. Everything you tried didn't work. No, that wasn't the case. There were things they tried that did work and worked real well. And they just didn't get them, get enough, get to them early enough and didn't use them consistently enough. Once they discovered them, that was frustrating. But later in the series, we saw Jokic's post game disappear a bit. Not, all, I mean, he's the best post player there is. It's not going to completely disappear, but he was slowed down substantially because they got to those smarter help types. That was frustrating. Um, why send help? We talked about it pre-series. I'll pull up some second spectrum numbers. Him uh, passing out 1.2 points per chance versus 1.4 when he's shooting. Uh, points per direct scoring possession, 1.3 passing, 1.4 shooting. Uh, points per possession, 1.3 passing, 1.6 shooting. Uh, so when he's the one creating the offense, it's much better than when his teammates are. Having Rui on Jokic was something we talked about pre-series. LA got to it late game one, and it took Denver eight quarters to successfully counter it. And we saw them try the like half dozen things we talked about in the pregame show of, I forget which game it was, of like, hey, here's how they might counter and here's what we do. And LA did a pretty good job holding serve. When they'd counter, LA would hold serve until the fourth quarter of game Three, I think it was. And at that point, LA just didn't handle it well. But you have to win some of those games when you have that tactical advantage. And they couldn't. You have to win game two. The whole game, you were able to use this and it worked well. And Denver didn't have the right answers. And they they just couldn't. So there was a missed opportunity there. But want to give the, the team credit for that. Denver also just had some absurd shooting. As we said on the last pod, they scored 19 points more than expected on shots they got through four games. That's about five points per game extra they scored. If you account for Ellie's poor shooting, it goes up to seven points per game swing compared to like shot, you know, expectations versus reality. And I mean, shot that's part of the game. You got to hit shots and you win when you hit shots and Denver hit a lot of shots. And I know for fans looking at Denver in the finals and seeing like some of these guys can't hit anything, but they hit everything against us. I get it. It's frustrating. That's basketball. But um, Ellie wasn't as far behind as, as it might have seemed just based on that, that hot shooting. So, so that, Tim, that's something Tim, let me that ask certainly you this, stands because out because I think this is as in any company uh, for, you know, position of leadership. Um, I think constant reflection, accountability, um, you know, ref- not just observing what literally happened, but understanding why you went and lost. Right. Which is what you're so good at kind of communicating mm-hmm. uh, to the audience here. If you're Jeannie Buss or if you're 
Rob Palenka, how do you qualify or qualitatively judge Ham based on Russell Westbrook team and the D'Angelo Russell team and the postseason team? Because that, to me, there are issues with all three that are not always the same issue. And what's what's real, right? Was the last thing you saw the most real? Mm-hmm. It's the first thing you saw. You know, the Russ team is totally different. I understand that it's a totally new team. However, decisions the coach has made, you know, during that time, how does that forecast in the future, right? What do you see that you liked from that? I don't know if I'm asking too broad of a question here, but how do you sift through all those kind of contexts there? Yeah, that's a great question. On the player side, you know, we've seen guys who like finished the season shooting real hot, scoring a lot of points. It's like, does this carry over? Was this just hot shooting? Like what's real with coaching? I think it's more process-based. Like the decision, if you can, if you look at the team results, I think you're in tricky territory. If you're able to look at, and which is what, which is what we're doing, like, hey, this is what we think they should have done versus what they did do and therefore how accurate or effective they were, Understanding the shot making is its own thing. Understanding that you don't fully control the execution bit. I think you should be able to get a true grasp of where they are in the moment strength-wise and weakness-wise. And to answer your question, I think if we were to evaluate the year, we got to look at it all and weigh it appropriately. But if we're looking ahead, which was your question, I think we look at, you know, there were things they struggled with early in the year, mistakes they made that they didn't make again. They had opportunities to make again, they didn't make again. There were things that they... You know, when when uh, posed certain tactical questions, they answered one way earlier in the year, realized it didn't work, made adjustments, and then moving forward, answered it correctly six times in a row or something. So it, I think it, it takes looking at the progression, understanding almost the play-by-play of like, all right, they, they were spotty with it early in the year, but then figured it out. Or, you know, they got lucky and every now and then did the right thing against it, but it's clear they don't know what they're talking about, which is something that we'd often share with the Byron Scott staff, the Luke Walton staff, the Vogel staff offensively, where it's like, yeah, you've got some good plays. You don't understand why they work, it seems like. And every now and then you pull them out, but you're not, you know, you're not pulling them out at the right moments. Uh, like, <laughs> like it's like, you know, you're at a stadium, they're playing Sweet Caroline and everyone else goes, da, 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 or whatever. They're just yelling duh, 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 at the wrong parts of the song sometimes. And like every now and then they get it right. But it's like, no, you don't get it. Like, what are you doing? And we're finally seeing, you know, Frank Vogel or uh, Ham sat there the first game. It was like, I don't know what this is. Oh, oh, that's what they're doing. Okay, I get it now. So then every game moving forward, you know, was participating appropriately. I hope that that anecdote makes sense. But ba, um, ba, ba. yeah, there we go. Um, so... <laughs> <laughs> you derailed yourself, brother. <laughs> I did. I, I did. I did. So I I think offensively, I like what they were able to put together with ball screen attacks, attacking coverages, a lot of that leveraged off-screen shooting, which was something they did not have in the playoff rotation because they cut Malik Beasley out, and that's partially his own doing. He wasn't hitting his shots. We saw the offensive scheme lose some of those key elements that helped. Like we talked so much in the regular season about how, yeah, you know, Beasley's going to, he's going to run 10 pin downs, maybe four times. He actually gets a shot up and he makes two of them. 
The other six times, that action adds value because it means those defenders, those two or three defenders defending that action, are now not stopping the LeBron AD pick and roll or the AD ISO or the LeBron post up. You're taking away that help defense. That's part of where the value is that I think people miss sometimes. But that was where LA really needed help against Denver is Denver was nexting ball screens. They were pre-rotating on drives. They were icing ball screens. A lot of things that you need help defense to adequately execute. And LA wasn't able to remove that help defense because Reeves and Walker and Schroeder and D'Lo, these guys weren't, they're not off screen shooters and they weren't hitting those shots. So that's a key element that we'll see what they look like. You know, what does the roster look like next season? If they get rid of Beasley and they don't replace him with someone with that skill set, I have questions about, all right, how are you going to solve these problems? You have a full off season to figure it out. You've got a new roster. Hopefully it's not a roster that needs to be blown up halfway into the year. How will they construct that, that scheme? But that's an element that worries me a little bit uh, because we got into the playoffs and it was like, all right, what's our bread and butter. It's like, ISO is not real. You don't have the elite, elite, elite ISO guys that, you know, are just going to go through help defense all the time. Like you have to be able to counter help, which they did usually better than not, but there were certain tactics they struggled with, but I don't know, like what's your bread and butter, a brawn AD pick and roll for years, smart teams and teams in the playoffs have just switched that. And all right, it's gone now. And if you're able to, you know, help from the weak side and tag AD in addition to the switch, that slip isn't there. Now it turns into a post game or an ISO game. And we saw the Lakers post offense go up so much more in the playoffs there. The frequency at which they ran post-ups rose 44% from the number it was in the regular season. That's that's striking. That was all right. We're a post-up team now. And their perimeter isolation actually went down 16% in usage. Their off-screen shooting dropped 42% usage. The efficiency dropped 20%. Their role man possessions weren't scoring well. Uh, their efficiency dropped 20%. AD was not a role man in the playoffs. Part of that was he wasn't rolling hard. Part of that was he was catching at the elbow, which kind of coincides with the first one. But his roles weren't at the rim. They were mid-range. And there's a big difference there. So you got to find these, you know, these answers. So there are open questions that the team needs to figure out. I think reintegrating some of those skill sets, if you can find guys you can rely upon in, in a playoff rotation would be great. Um, but like at the end of the day, your offense was a lot of post-ups, which struggled. AD really struggled. LeBron was fantastic, but AD struggled in the first round. He got better and he got better. He was good efficiency-wise by the Denver series, but that's that was a, a key thing. And then the pick and roll offense was bad. It it stunk. There were a lot of games that wasn't good. There were some games that was very good. The offense was really good as a result, but LA ranked 13th of 16 playoff teams in pick and roll offense efficiency. That was the worst of any team that made it beyond the first round. Their pick and roll ball handlers ranked 14th of 16 teams. They scored 0.82 points per possession. That's awful. It's so bad. Their roll men, ninth of 16 teams. So like, all right, average-ish. They were third in the regular season of 30 teams. So a huge step back there. And part of this is D'Lo and LeBron not hitting their pull-up threes. Part of this is that the Lakers struggled tactically to attack the ice coverage. The next thing, the pre-rotating. Part of it was LA lost that off-screen shooting element. Uh, Beasley for his struggles on spot up threes, he was shooting 41% on the season with the Lakers on dribble handoff threes and off screen threes and erase that. And he's a bad defender. He's a really bad defender, but erase that. And that hurts your pick and roll offense. It hurts your post-up offense. It hurts your ISO offense. And we saw that shrink the playbook and, and drop their efficiency. So offensively, they need to figure out who they are. 
when you have a, a guard and a wing or a wing and a big as your like two key guys, the pick and roll combination isn't quite as effective as a guard and a big. We don't have a Jokic and a Murray. We have a LeBron and an AD. And if you can switch that, the pick and roll game isn't, isn't just the same sort of threat that it is for some of these other teams. You don't really switch a Murray-Jokic pick and roll. And if you do, you've got bigger mismatches than you otherwise would. So Ellie needs to figure that out. I think this is what makes having D'Lo be himself or bringing in a Van Vliet or a Kyrie or just one of those types of guys so that you can have that pick and roll synergy with AD is so critical. That's why when Reeves was real co- really cooking in the playoffs, he and AD were able to generate a lot of problems for the defense. It didn't always result in one of the two of them getting a shot, but that's what opened up the Reeves or the, the LeBron stampede cuts is you can't just switch that first action and stop it. So Ellie's got some stuff to figure out. Offensively, though, I think they're in a good spot. They're not elite, but they're above average. Defensively, we saw them defend post-ups just about every way possible. Uh, I do think they could have refined which ones they used more. Their pick-and-roll defense needs to be more diversified. They need to be better uh, with uh, getting personnel that rotates, like bigger guys and guys that are just sharper at, like, All right, I need to tap this role, man. When you don't do that, it's, I don't care how good AD is hedging. It's really difficult to try to, like, run show and recover or catch hedges soft hedges any of that so part of this is the roster was limiting but if they can address that i need to see them lean more into other coverages this is something that hurt them against denver denver's not as good against that ellie didn't need to run that against golden state or or memphis but that was in a, a time where they didn't have the tool in the tool bag to go to because the roster didn't enable it. So they need to fix that. So it's hard to judge whether or not they would use this or not. They, for the most part, at least for the first two rounds, did a really good job coverage-wise. Not always perfect, but they were able to adjust quickly. I think this team needs to box out more. This isn't a coach. Oh, it's kind of a coaching thing. And this is why it's discretionary effort. It's, you know, how much do you want it? It's pure effort. It's There's not a, a ton of like complicated technique or anything. Denver, specifically Miami, actually, boxing out noticeably more than the Lakers were. When you watch those finals, Miami's getting a body on a body all the time, and it helps them control the defensive boards. If the Lakers could do that, they would be so much more effective defensively and limit putbacks, limit the second chance opportunities, and it would help them spark their offense as well. Getting stops is really good for your offense. So that's an area that they need to focus more on. I'd be throwing together highlight films and low light films of here's how we defended Denver. Here's how Miami was boxing out against Denver. See the difference? See, like, here's how Denver was boxing out versus us boxing out. Like, it's how much do you want it? And that's habits. That's it being brought to the light. If you make it important to the team, they'll do better with it. If you communicate and you hold them accountable, they'll do better with it. I've seen it firsthand as a player and as a, on staff where when we tracked box out percentages, they got better because we made it publicly available. We posted in the locker room. So, you know, bronze walking to the locker room says, Oh, what AD you box out 10% of the time. What the hell, man? Like, come on. You know, if we care about winning and we understand this impacts winning and we're able to track it, you'll get better at it. If you don't track it, you can't really get better at it as, as precisely. So I don't know. I'm rambling a little bit, but that's what I'm looking at with these guys. Uh, getting back to the Denver series, defending Murray ball screens killed LA. He had 64 pick and roll scoring possessions between him shooting and him passing out at 1.33 points per possession. That, that kills you. It's so bad for, for the defense. 
they shot 59% on their twos, 56% on threes, which is ridiculous. Uh, Murray was absurd shooting. Everyone else is absurd shooting out of his ball screens. But again, 56% shooting on Murray ball screens is absurd. Uh, LA ran deep drop. It allowed him to get those comfortable pull-up threes, the pull-up twos. Now, LA did use that that quirk thing I identified pre-series with trying to, you know, get away with going under when he was going to his right. 78% of his pull-up shots going left to right were to his left. He just happened to shoot 1.54 points per possession. Like, what are you going to do? There's nothing to... to I, I got you got no answer there. Like, so he actually shot decently, but not crazy going to his right. And it ended up being a worthwhile strategy because there were more times than not, he just didn't shoot. And LA was able to negate the ball screen. But at the end of the day, you know, it looks like a stupid comment from me. And it, you know, the, the team lost the series because he shot again 1.54 points per possession going to his his comfortable side going left. So th- that was smart. Ultimately, it wasn't enough. Uh, for the grades for the coaching, I had him at a D plus for rotations and matchups in the Denver series, a D for offense, C minus for defense, C minus for defense, D plus overall. So rotations and matchups went C, C plus, D plus. Offense went B minus, C, D, which is concerning. And the defense went B plus, B plus, C minus. Defense had been a strength for this coaching staff, and I think it can be. And the offense is more where I have worries, where it's like, all right, when you really trim down and you get to your, you know, seven or eight men, eight core guys in the playoffs, you need to be able to make more happen. So that's more where I have open questions for this coaching staff. But all things considered, they did a pretty darn good job in the playoffs. Uh, B minus, B minus, D plus grades for the three rounds. And it's it's hard to get a good grade when you get swept. But I don't know. I'm impressed. They got better. I feel better about them today than I did a couple months ago mm-hmm. because they've shown the growth. They've shown they've learned from mistakes. And I think if you give them a good roster, they'll be able to make it a, a pretty good team. I'm optimistic. I still think they they have a very important summer. They have a very important decisions to make. Uh, to your point about the offense, I think it's wise to – create an identity around create an offense around aging LeBron to not expect him to be what he was like, even when he was 35, you know what I mean? Um, expectation into, yeah, I'm just, I want them to have that right context to not expect too much to have a plan outside of this is a LeBron James led offense. And I think mm-hmm. there are still opportunities to, Give him the ball and let him go, you know, run the offense. But it's it's a, a precious thing now, Tim. And you need to be able to have other leaders and drivers of the offensive engines uh, outside mm-hmm. of LeBron if you want long-term success, I think. Because oh, yeah. it's, it, it's not the foot – next year, it's going to be a knee. It's going to be a hip. It's going to be something. You know what I mean? It, it will forever now be something. Yeah, John Morant's gonna be suspended for 25 games. LeBron James is gonna be out for for you yeah. know 20, 30 games or something because he's because he's getting older and it's about the playoffs for this team. It's it's about a title, and so you need to build the roster, understanding that those guys won't be all the time available, and have the right you know you you can't build a fragile roster that as soon as one of the two of them goes down, everything falls apart. You, you've with this group, you've got guys that can create their own shots. You've got some guys that can run ball screen, so that's good defensively AD can't be the he any he, he is the centerpiece but you need to be able to when he's not in the game still be a strong defense and we haven't quite seen that so 
This team, I think addressing their backup bigs is really important for them this offseason, as well as addressing whether it's D'Lo or whoever replaces D'Lo. That job is really important. And being able to, when LeBron's out there, still be able to get really good pick and roll synergy with D'Lo or whoever it is and AD and allow LeBron to be a spacer or a stampede cutter or just rest. And then, you know, I, I think you don't want to reach a spot where it's like, okay, we need AD to take over. Now it's just post up ISO time. I want him to be able to still be an effective, you know, rim pressuring offensive option as a finisher rather than just as a creator. And LeBron James does not need to be the creator in the action. So that's where Reeves stepped up and did a nice job. This is where Dennis left some things to be desired, but I had a little bit of it. This is where D'Lo in the playoffs, just not hitting his pulp threes made things challenging. But when he was hitting his pulp threes for the brief moments, he was, it was like, Oh wow, this guy's, you know, this is really good. This is really working. This synergy there really, really works. So that point guard job and that backup big job, I think are going to be really important for this team being able to make it through 82 games with a good seed. And then once you get to the playoffs, having enough to, to go deeper. And I also, so as you're building the roster out, you need to keep those things in mind. As you're building the scheme out, you need to keep in mind, all right, who is a two-way player? Who here is going to play deep in the playoffs? We can't build too many plays in that rely on our 11th man. That's going to get, you know, cut out of the rotation after the first round. Those sorts of uh, things need to be under consideration. I give the staff a little bit of a pass just because they didn't know what this roster was going to look like. It ended up changing big time. But I am a little concerned because a lot of those concepts were in the playbook early in the year when they didn't have the right skill sets to run them. And they just didn't work. And then they started working when they got Beasley on the team. And playoffs, you know, we saw the playoffs, but still a little worried about the playbook. We'll, we'll see what it looks like. All right, Tim. Well, I think it's a good place to leave it for today. Um, as always, DM us a five-star review on your podcast player of choosing to get a link to the discord it's discord season folks lots of stuff going down in the discord lots of convos you know we're officially in the off season so yeah discord season make sure you send us that review to get that link and uh tim next week monday tuesday thursday at 6 pst we are going live uh, I am going to be making some graphics and all that fun stuff. So let the people know on the socials. Um, follow us on playback.tv slash Lakers watch party. Anything else you got, my man? Yeah, so with the playback, it'll be free. We're not going to be. I mean, when we watch the draft live, like I guess you'll need to log into something. But when it's just us doing a podcast and sharing our screens, you don't have to have any yes. sort of authentication. So Correct. if you're listening to this, you can go listen to that. So don't don't worry about, oh, I don't have League Pass or, you know, I don't have oh, a TV provider. I want to pay for in. it. Yeah, it's free. Yeah, yeah, it's free. Uh, so check us out there. Also with, with the Discord, worry, now that the season's over, the finals are over, we are going to get started with our Team for the Day activity where we dig in team at a time and pull up. Here are their, you know, pending free agents, team options, player options, what is likely going to happen there based on that, who will be available in the free market among players. And then based on those decisions, what spending power does the team have and what needs do they have? If you do that for just the Lakers, you're like, all right, great. We need a, we need this guy. Why don't we go get, you know, this player. And then it's like, Oh no, you can't afford him because there are 16 other teams that need that player and they have more money to spend. So we do it for all 30 teams. So then we're able to get realistic targets 
with, you know, our mins, our MLE, whatever it happens to be, if we have cap space, whatever that happens to be, and really can help predict how the market will play out once we do get to free agency. We've got a little, we got about a month and a half to go through 30 teams. So it's going to be 30 teams in about what, 45 days. So uh, lots of action, lots of great conversation. I know every time we do this, I learn so much more and I'm able to get that insight into, you know, how does Minnesota operate? What are the, what is Toronto looking to do this, this off season? And I feel, you know, like a smarter fan just in general with the NBA, but it also makes us a smarter podcast and a community with, when it comes to the Lakers, we're not going to spend, we're not going to waste your time talking about free agent targets that aren't realistic. So Get in there. Anyone in the Discord can join in on that conversation. We've got bonus content in there with other tiers as well. Want to shout out friends of the podcast, Court Prowess, for rocking out with the arena sponsorship as well to as well as to TJ Timotaji, Zach Harris, Q Daddyo, iPod Shuffle, Miguel T. Shuttleworth, Omar, Roy, Abdulrahman, Keneal Mason, Doppel, and Romario for living the high life with us in these owners in the owners box. I know we've had some new folks in there as well, so I may need to update the script. Uh, want to shout out the folks in the courtside. Lower Bowl Cruise as well, supporting what we do. We're we got lots of cool stuff coming, Tom. Playback back, podcasts. We can get some of those uh streams uploaded to YouTube. So it is uh, you know, at finals are over, but content season is still very much here. Yep. 2023-24 season starts now. And uh we got a lot to talk about. Sometimes the off season is the most exceptional time. So get in and uh yeah, until next time, everybody. We will see you on Playback. Talk to y'all later.